This episode of the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast is one of the episodes that we filmed during the sci-fi program, Joe Rogan Questions Everything. It is brought to you by Ting. Ting is a cell phone company that gives you cell phone service that makes sense for you. They allow you to cancel at any time. They don't have contracts. They use the Sprint backbone. So you're getting dependable, reliable, excellent cell phone service, but you're getting it in a way that you probably wouldn't get from a big company. Like, for instance, if you don't use all of your minutes, if you use less minutes than you thought you would, Ting will actually knock you down to the lower level and then credit you the difference on your next bill. That shit is unheard of. No company does that. And I think that's an awesome way to do business. They're not trying to rob you. They're just trying to sell you something that's really good. And it's an excellent exchange, an even exchange. You give them money. They give you good cell phone service at a reasonable price. Um, Ting has on their website a lot of examples that people have sent to them about how much money that they have saved by using Ting. But I can tell you personally, I have spoken to many people on Twitter and social media that have sent me a thank you saying that Ting saved them a ton of money. And it gave them excellent service with really high-end cell phone devices. They use the Android phones and they have all sorts of other different kind of phones as well. But the high-end Android phones like the Samsung Galaxy S4, the HTC One, all the really top-end nice devices that you can get. Uh, I recently just got a, 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 one of these uh, Galaxy Note 3s. It is a fucking ridiculous phone. It might be too big. I don't know if I'm going to keep it. But right now I got it. And I am very impressed with the Android operating system. I haven't fucked with this in a long time. I got one a long time ago, like maybe three years ago or something like that and it was like a drunk iphone it was such a hunk of shit but boy have they caught up in a big way and this screen is magical anyway i'm, I'm waxing poetically about my new, my new phone what i'm telling you is that ting will save you money give you awesome cell phone coverage and make you feel good that you're connected to a reliable but but ethical company that's not trying to fucking rip you off so Go to rogan.ting.com and save yourself $25 either off service or device. It's your choice. And uh, enjoy. And I guarantee you, if you're looking for some cheaper but yet excellent cell phone service that doesn't make you feel like you're getting fucked over, Ting is the way to go. That's the new song. Ting is the way to go. Rogan.ting.com. Go get your freak on. Uh, before this podcast airs, I just want to say thank you to the fine folks at Sci-Fi and Arthur Smith, the production company that uh, made my my show, Joe Rogan Questions Everything. Thank you to uh, Tim and Wayne from Sci-Fi also for allowing us to put this on the air um, as a podcast. One of the things that we did when we were filming the show is we wanted to incorporate the podcast into the show because, first of all, it's the best method that I know of for discussing an issue. There's one, one of the things that I found about the show that was kind of awkward. I really enjoyed doing the show. I really enjoyed the opportunity to explore all these different topics. It didn't come out perfect. There's a lot of things that I wasn't happy with, but that's all just a part of the growing pains of creating a show. Um, but one thing that I did find is that having conversations in front of people standing up in weird circumstances, like in a hallway or, you know, in a laboratory or whatever, the, many, many different scenarios that we uh, had conversations on the show is very awkward. 
The best way to have a conversation is on a podcast. Sitting down across each other in a comfortable chair in front of a big oak desk where you're relaxed. You feel confident. You're comfortable, rather. You, you feel comfortable. You feel it's quiet. The room is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun place to be. It feels good. There's, uh, there's good energy here. And we control that for the most part by having it in a podcast form. And my favorite aspects of the show were actually Duncan and myself talking to these people on the podcast. And it was kind of a revelation in a lot of ways. It's like my favorite part of doing this show is the stuff that I was already doing before I was doing the show. But I want to thank, thank sci-fi for allowing us to do it that way. Cause it really, uh, it came out great. Um, those parts of it. And so now you're going to get the full unedited podcast. This first one is, uh, from the Bigfoot episode and it's Dr. Jeffrey Mel Meldrum. Dr. Jeff Meldrum is in my opinion, the most credible of all the Bigfoot believers. I shouldn't say the most credible because maybe there's some out there that are just as credible that I haven't met. He's the most reasonable guy that I communicated with. And, uh, I really respect him for his, first of all, his, his, stepping out and saying that he really thinks this is a big, real, undiscovered primate living in the Pacific Northwest, which takes a lot of balls for someone who's a legit professor. Uh, you know, because people immediately think you're fucking crazy if you tell them there's an unknown monkey living in the woods. He doesn't just do that. He does that from an academic point of view. He's a very, very bright guy. And he also does that as an expert in human movement. And I found his theories on the Sasquatch uh, combined with this uh, knowledge that he has about human movement to be very fascinating. And his analysis of footprints and what, what's unique about these footprints and why it mimics actual real, pri real primates and not human beings, in fact, uh, I thought was also incredibly fascinating. He's a brilliant guy and a very nice guy. And I appreciate very much that uh, he took the time out of his busy schedule to come on the show. So enjoy. This is Dr. Jeff Meldrum. And once again, thanks to everybody involved in the show, everybody from the cameraman on down. It was an amazing, cool place uh, to work for a few months. So uh, big kiss to you all. And now enjoy a podcast with powerful Duncan Trussell and Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Tell me when we're ready. Dr. Meldrum, first of all, thank you very much for coming here and talking to us about all things Squatch. <laughs> Duncan and I are uh, very excited about this. How many years, first of all, have you been involved in this? Were you in that... Leonard Nimoy in search of Bigfoot show? No, that predated me. That predated you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's the OG of Bigfoot shows, right? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing that when I was a kid mm -hmm. and being so convinced and excited that there was a big hairy man living in the woods. <laughs> Obviously, back then, I didn't realize that it could be a species. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like one individual dude, mm -hmm. but uh, a whole species. And I've been fascinated by it since I was a little child. Sure. I don't know why. I don't know what it. What is it about Bigfoot? Maybe you could tell us. What is it about Bigfoot that speaks to man? I, there, there are different levels. I mean, there's the just simply the mystery, something that's undiscovered, uh, unresolved. Uh, I think there's an added mystique because it's so human-like. I mean, that's been a, a an icon and an archetype. Uh, of the human experience uh, since the beginning of history. Some of the earliest heroes 
hung out with wild men, whether it was uh, Beowulf and Grendel or um, Gilgamesh and Enkidu. You know, there there were these denizens of the forest that maybe represented our our sort of lost connection to wilderness and to wild places. Do you think there's a certain amount of arrogance in assuming that we have a full detail of the entire fossil record of primates when, you know, you see things like Homo florensis, the hobbit man in right. Indonesia, yeah. and the evidence of Gigantopithecus, which is only, you know, in the 1920s they found that, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, this is this is a theme that, <laughs> that it really is placing Sasquatch in a, in a very different context, and one that I keep pushing because I, I, I can see this unfolding. Uh, with every new discovery of, of a hominid like Homo floresiensis, uh, the, the tree of, of hominid radiation gets bushier and bushier. Mm. And then discovery after discovery shows that some of these lineages have persisted to much more recent times in the past than has ever been acknowledged previously. So, you know, Homo floresiensis, 13,000 years old. A new uh, Neanderthal site, maybe 10,000 years old. Really? Yeah. And so the the notion that we're the only hominid on the planet, contrary to all experience in the past when there were multiple hominids coexisting on the landscape, uh, may be a real misnomer, a real misrepresentation of fact. And these relic hominoids may be the rule rather than the exception. It's it's a real tricky subject, the Bigfoot Sasquatch subject. I have it brought it up with people that I love and respect, and they have <laughs> mocked me right in front of my face. Join the my club. friend Dana, Dana White. Dana White mocked me the other night at dinner right in front of my face. For believing in Bigfoot. I tell you, I was pretty disappointed when I heard you were going looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> well, I was like, how dare you, sir? What do you know about Bigfoot, man? It's one of those things. Yeah. Bigfoot is like ghosts or flying saucers or sure. crop circles. It, it lumps you in a weirdo category. It because, does. But, yeah. there, but that's because there is a lot of weirdos that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> that's right. You yeah. must know that. Oh, sure. You probably experience more lunatics than psychiatrists do. And that's what uh, that's what uh, uh, warns off a lot of my colleagues is they they don't want to uh, navigate try to navigate that morass of of the lunatic fringe. Mm. And so you don't have the luxury of just simply going out and collecting data. You have to winnow through all this chaff to find find the kernel. And yes. it's very I'm sorry. It's very it's like when they lump you in like it's a stain. It really is a stain on your career, on your yeah. credentials. Yeah. They could say, oh, he's that Bigfoot guy. Absolutely. Well, there was a moment as I was sitting here contemplating these footprints that sort of pulled me into the subject. When I, I, I was familiar with Grover Krantz, I knew the grief that he'd suffered at the hands of his colleagues because of his pursuit of this subject, you know, in his career, uh, stalling his career. And uh, I contemplated for a moment, do I really want to go down that road or not? But... How could you not when you have 35, 45 fresh footprints laid out in front of you that are so clear, so compelling, so persuasive? I mean, for me, that's what science is about. It's going after those interesting, even if they're anomalous, uh, data points. What was it that got you started on this? Well, it was that. I mean, I, I you could, we could go clear back to my childhood when I was born in, and uh, in the Pacific Northwest and knew of Bigfoot, uh, knew of Roger Patterson and his film. He came to Spokane, where I lived as a as a youngster, and, and showed his documentary showcasing that that film clip. But my academic interest began in 1996 when I was shown uh, a very this this same line of tracks I just referred to in uh, the Blue Mountains outside of Walla Walla, and. Uh, I tell you, the, the hook was set. Is there ever been a moment where you stepped back and said, 
hang on. Am I wasting my time on some hooey? Sure. Oh, is sure. There, is there a lot of hooey involved in the subject? Uh, there is, yeah. And you, you got to get past that. Uh, but I tell you, what I have seen, what I've experienced firsthand, uh, be it you know finding tracks in very remote areas myself, hearing vocalizations, having rocks thrown at me. And what have you? Well, tell us about your experiences. You've seen tracks where there's no people, like deep in right. the woods. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. What'd you on, say? On several occasions. Well, one one was in connection with a kind of an interesting inter- possible interaction. We never actually saw something or anything, but uh, when you eliminate uh, you know when you eliminate the the uh, likely uh, scenarios, uh, then the unlikely is what you're left with. And in this case, we had we were in the Siskiyou Wilderness of Northern California, one of the first expeditions of sorts that I participated in. And we'd gone off from our base camp quite some distance uh, off trail to investigate some lakes we, we thought might have been shrunken up in the, in, the, uh, in the heat and exposing mudflats for more tracking opportunities. We did find a set of tracks in uh, on a dusty stretch of the trail. You, you know, if, you, if you've ever been out uh, camping, you get up really early and, the, and the, the dust of a campsite is still moistened with the dew and you step out of your tent and everything sticks to your foot. Those were the kind of footprints that we found on the trail one morning. They were just as clear as could be. Something with a 16-inch foot, five toes, had stepped in that, uh, that dew-laden dust and it just lifted up a perfect outline of a footprint. Now, as a Bigfoot freak, yeah. what was that like for you? This is like well, your first piece of evidence. You're stumbling yeah. upon it yourself. That's right. Yeah. Well, it was, Were you freaking out? No, no. I mean, it, it, was, it was confirming. I'm freaking out. I'm not even there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, at that, <laughs> by, by that time, when, <laughs> yeah, there, there were moments. We'd been in the woods already for over four weeks. And so uh, we had kind of gotten to the point, uh, you know, you have to sort of steel yourself against that natural fear reaction to those circumstances. Uh, but I, I think this is uh, something that a lot of Bigfoot hunters assume, which is that Bigfoot is sweet or Bigfoot's this harmless being that's out there picking flowers and printing his footprints in the dew. This could be a killer. This thing could be a deadly, angry, tired, bitter old jungle <laughs> ape. Aren't you worried that in your quest for Bigfoot, you actually might find him? Well, uh, uh, find one of them too. You know, let's make it clear. Yeah, there's this more is, than one. Yeah, Duncan. this is not one lone monster roaming the right. Yeah, but but it's not a but, boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> but your but your points well taken. I mean, uh, clearly this this if, if it exists, this is a large, powerful, potentially dangerous animal yeah. and should be shown deference. But I mean, if if they were killers, you know, like grizzly bears, they would have been hunted to extinction just like grizzlies were in the lower forty eight for quite a period of time. Uh, there really isn't. I mean, the only stories you hear about uh, antagonistic uh, uh, behavior towards humans is usually precipitated when the humans have shot at them. They've mm-hmm. they've started the quarrel, but right. other, otherwise they seem to be. You know, it's just like with uh, with gorillas. You know, gorillas were billed by Barnum and Bailey as the most uh, terrifying creature on the face of the planet. But now we're, they, they're considered the gentle giants, you know, the, 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 uh, the vicar of the uh, endangered, uh, imperiled tropical right. forests. Right. The, so. the predatory primates are the ones that are the most dangerous, right? Like chimpanzees are more dangerous than gorillas because they're predatory. True, yeah. And yeah. this apparently, what the, the lore is, what people believe at least, is that if Sasquatch is a real thing, it eats animals. And it sure. probably eats elk and it probably sure. follows elk migrations. Sure. 
Yeah. So, so there is always that risk. I mean, you know, anyone who's going out in the woods should, should use due, uh, due caution. Yeah. I mean, people you know. eat people. Well, sure. Exactly. Do you, do you pack heat? Do you pack heat? It depends on the circumstances. Not, not he's for... a doctor, dude. He carries a gun. How dare you? He's about to say he packs heat. Oh, sure. It, it, no, it, when, when we're in the field, I mean, we're in areas where there, where there are grizzly bears, where there's cougar. You know, Northern yeah. California, they've got uh, lots of issues with, uh, with cougars preying on or attacking right. people. So oh, yeah. Cougars for, are... For personal security, sure, sure we sometimes course. do. Cougars are no joke. Pepper spray, too. So. Pepper spray and a thick jacket. Those cougars, you <laughs> yeah. want you want some some a lot of protection. Uh, I prefer a ten millimeter. So that too, yes. son, <laughs> and get some Kevlar and maybe a sword. Well, what a predicament you're putting yourself in because let's say you do run into a tribe of these things, yeah. and they've they're smart enough to know that they can't be discovered. You've got to decide between not getting ripped to shreds by these Bigfoot. Or blasting them into oblivion. Sure. What yeah. do you pick? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it's a, I, I hate to speculate too much on a, a what-if scenario. I, I don't think that they're in tribal social organizations or, or that they are that intelligent. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we're, we're dealing with, uh, you know, at least a, a large primate, a large ape, and at most uh, a very uh, early offshoot of the hominid radiation that – you know, has intelligence that's not much higher than that of a chimp or a gorilla. Um, I just have no experience to to back up anything beyond that. If I could so. let you pick a toe, any toe, <laughs> toe, and we hack that sucker off and then immediately take you to Bigfoot My with t- cameras, <laughs> crew, whole deal, you get to see Sasquatch, a whole Sasquatch mm-hmm. family. Yeah. Do you accept that? Do you hack off a toe to meet Sasquatch and know for sure? I could probably get by without a... Oh, yeah. my goodness. You got it bad, sir. I know. You're ready to chop off toes. I, I'll chop off my toe. Throw my pinky into the pot. Would you really? Absolutely. I love my pinkies. I'm not going to do that, What's man. it for? What does it do? What does it do? What does a pinky even do? It helps do? you move around, you freak. I, what, barely. It's yeah, like yeah a, it wiggles to the left and it pushes off. It helps you stabilize. The pinky toe? Yes, yeah. it's, it's there like for a, a reason. barely a Vienna sausage. It's like right. this, yeah. Maybe yours. Mine's very active. Yeah. <laughs> Hard, hard to clip that little nail, you know. It's, uh, wouldn't have to it worry is, about that anymore. Oh my goodness, you, you guys are both sick. How dare you? Okay, wait. Um, it's so tempting, though. You would transform human history with this video. I want my toes, dude. <laughs> Discussion over. Selfish. Not chopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a valid question because I mean, a guy like you who's been studying this for how many decades now? Uh, nearly two decades, yeah. Nearly two decades. So. Think about all that time and effort just mm-hmm. to, to see it down yeah. right there. But it's been a great ride. I mean, right. what, you know, I, I've got to see uh, places on this planet and see some of the most beautiful landscapes and terrains and meet all kinds of interesting people. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting experience. Yeah, as we talked to one uh, Sasquatch hunter, what he said was that even if he doesn't find Sasquatch, he's still camping. Oh, still sure. enjoying himself. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. I the, always tell people, you know, cultivate uh, an appreciation for natural history, enjoying the outdoors, because it's, it's like me with fishing. If I don't catch a fish in the first five minutes, I'll start to lose interest pretty soon. And if you're that way, chances of you catching a fish or having a, a Sasquatch experience in the first weekend you go out is pretty slim. Right. So enjoy what you're doing. You you mentioned that these creatures throw rocks. Mm-hmm. How big are the rocks that they throw? 
Well, in my experience, uh, when we were there in the Siskiyous, uh, we had it was about a softball-sized rock. I mean, if you wanted to cold cock me, it could have probably, but I think it was more of a. I got the impression it was just uh, letting me know that we were close, and uh, I got the sensation, in fact, that we had stopped to take a break at a spot that was on uh, one of the pathways that they followed. It was where we had found the, the footprints the first the first go. Say that again, Siskiyous. The Siskiyous in, nor- in Northern California. Six Rivers National Forest and Siskiyou Wilderness. So the the primary theory when it comes, what's the matter? Just a little to your right. There you go. Perfect. Sorry. Sorry. So is the primary theory about Sasquatch is that it was something along the lines of a gigantopithecus that was in Asia, came down the Bering Strait with humans, and that's why there's so many of them inhabiting the dense rainforest of the Pacific Northwest that it just found it to be ideal habitat, so just stayed there. Yeah, that's that's one model. I mean, in gigantopithecus, you have a primate that's the right size in the right place at the right time to have expanded its range over the Bering Land Bridge, and, and there were times when that land bridge was uh, a corridor of forest, not not an Arctic tundra. So it wasn't like they were migrating; they were just expanding the range. I mean, each generation would expand into the available habitat. So from Asia all the way to North America was forest at one point. At, in time? at times, yeah, off and on. Uh, it wasn't always uh, ice locked, and so mm. uh, and that would have preceded probably the time that humans came. So they were probably here before Native Americans or Paleo Indians arrived in North America. There's a lot of speculation as to how intelligent it is. You mm-hmm. seem to think it's very ape-like, but I've talked to other folks mm-hmm. who think it's almost a human. Right. That it's like something in between right. us and a chimpanzee. Yeah. Well, a lot of those people who attribute to, you know, primal people or some kind of primitive human um, often also attribute various paranormal qualities. They're in psychic communication. Yeah. They're being taught by them, you know, this ancient wisdom, and etc. And, um, you know... I don't have any personal experience upon which to uh, evaluate those kinds of subjective... How very respectful of you. That was so scientific. That was a nice way to say they're fucking crazy. Lunatics. That's how a scientist calls you a lunatic. So. Yeah, it is a weird thing, isn't it? That it, it, it falls into that crystals, channeling, energy thing. Oftentimes, yeah. Which gives me, Ajita, I got to get out of the room when someone starts talking energy and crystals. I really, it's, it's, it, it, I'm allergic to it. Like we had it yesterday. Someone started talking about energy and a safe zone, a safe mm-hmm. space. I was like, yeah. I got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like immediately I feel like I'm threatened. My yeah. sanity's threatened. Yeah. I might get sucked into your stupid vortex. Well, I'll become one of you. Why is that? Why <laughs> Why do you think Bigfoot is a loon magnet? Do you think it's it, – because when you have people searching up for other things like uh, butterflies that they theorize that might exist or other undiscovered species, mm-hmm. they haven't gone completely mad. But for <laughs> some reason, a lot of these Bigfoot hunters, it seems like they've – lost their mind in this pursuit. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is that um, uh, when, when Bigfoot sort of fell into the lap of academia back in, well, it was coincident with the Patterson-Gimlin film, essentially. That's when it was thrust under the nose of, of, of science, the scientific community. Before that, it was just a bunch of, uh, you know, logger stories and forester stories coming out of the, the northern woods of, uh, of British Columbia or, or northern California, which was still really wild back then. Um, it it came at a time that preceded a lot of what we understand now about uh, early human evolution and uh, great ape natural history. And it was just 
there was no place to put it. There was no pigeonhole to stick this in. And so it, it was rejected by the scientific community. And in that vacuum came the amateur fortune seekers or enthusiasts or, you know, those that uh, thought it was left here by a UFO or traveling through interdimensional portals or any type of explanation as to why we aren't finding them, what makes them different from other common wildlife. I think what it is is that there's there's – First of all, I think there's two different types of people that get attracted to like really following up on on Sasquatch, and one of them is the loons. One of them is the people that if it wasn't if they weren't looking for Sasquatch, they would be looking to remote view, or they'd be looking to find out the cause of chemtrails, or the they would just fall, they would find some mystery and lock sure. onto it. Sure. The other one is courageous people who aren't afraid of looking like kooks. Because, like yourself, I think you, you look at it, you're obviously a very intelligent man, you, you're, you're an anthropologist, you're a professor, you know, you know what you're talking about, you look at this and you go, you know what, um, I don't think I can dismiss this. Right. You know what, I think there might be something here. Right, right. Even though it sounds crazy to say it, I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> this is why there might be something here. That's right. What That's are the, right. What's the most compelling piece of evidence? If you were trying to convince a person, if a person was on the fence and they were like, well, geez, Dr. Meldrum, I don't know. I mean, you seem like a normal guy. Um, <laughs> really, Bigfoot? Yeah. Like, tell me in, in a paragraph. What's right. the most compelling piece of evidence? Well, for me, again, from my point of expertise, it's the footprint evidence. That's what drew me into this because my, my study of the evolution of human bipedalism uh, uh, prepared me, I guess you'd say. I mean, why, why wouldn't I be fascinated by the possibility that there's another biped out there? I mean, it's a perfect natural experiment to, against which to compare and contrast our own adaptation for walking on two legs, which is otherwise considered to be unique amongst primates. And so... Was Gigantopithecus uh, thought to be bipedal, or is that well, in debate? it's in debate. Grover uh, Krantz made some arguments based on the, the shape of the jaw, given the breadth, the angle of the jaw. Is that, that supposed to be a Gigantopithecus jaw? That is. That's one of the two of the uh, examples of the largest species of Gigantopithecus, Blackie. Owie. Yeah. And, that looks uh, like it would hurt if it bit you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Those how are big, massive, massive molars. How big is the head, then? Like, about that? Abs- yeah, absolutely. Oh, they call that thing Blackie? Lord. <laughs> yeah, Gigantopithecus blackie, yeah, after the discoverer. <laughs> How rude. Yeah. That's what he said. That's, yeah. what it, that's his name. Well, the uh, the thought is that they looked more orangutan-like than gorilla. Is that correct? Well, again, speculation. The, it's speculation. Because they're found in Asia, they're part of what we call the Shivapithecine radiation, the thick enameled apes, of which orangutan is the only relic species in existence today. Uh, but, again, th- there's no way to know. I mean, uh, gorillas and chimps are closely related, and yet their skulls look quite different from one another in many ways. So the fo- the footprint evidence is, in your opinion, the best evidence. Right. And uh, the w- this one that we have, we both have the same one. Right. What is uh, the origin of this footprint? This was cast by a deputy sheriff by the name of Dennis Hereford in the 80s in uh, Grace Harbor County, Washington State, so over at the base of the Olympic Peninsula. And uh, he uh, was responding to a report of a disturbance at a construction site. And there on that uh, that spur road, hard-packed uh, dirt with a layer of fine pulverized dust from the movements of the heavy machinery, wet down by a rain, uh, left this remarkably clear uh, imprint. The, these are actually desiccation cracks where that wet mud was beginning to dry in the sun and shrink and crack. But the extrusion of the mud around the footprint and between the toes and all left a very... Uh, very striking uh, facsimile of, of that foot. 
it seems so uniform. That's where I start to get spe- well, skeptical. Again, it's it's the remarkable uh, conditions. When you know th- there were photographs of of uh, a number of footprints at that site, including some interesting, uh, what I refer to as half tracks, that uh, that terminate. I mean, the the details on here are remarkable. You can see what looks like the head and the base of the fifth metatarsal, maybe a little bit of arthritis or some kind of injury to the joints there. Yeah. Uh, this bulge right here, then, is the key, though. That, that you have on the side of your foot. If you, if you left a wet footprint on the cement when you came out of the pool, you'd see that bulge. And it's, at the, uh, it's positioned at the what we call the calcaneocuboid joint, which is uh, right there. Now, in apes, the, these two joints across here are much more flexible. They're adapted to climbing trees. If this were a chimpanzee, it would look more like this. And when they're grasping that branch, then you have to uh, be able to lever the foot without disrupting the grip. We've, mm. we've, we've changed that altogether by relinquishing that grip and, and incorporating the big toe into one stiff lever like this. So the whole foot acts as a, as a mechanical lever. But there's moves here remarkably. Sasquatch foot appears to have retained that uh, uh, that ape-like degree of flexibility, which is actually pretty uh, uh, elegant adaptation to climbing you know, on very steep, rugged, mountainous terrain. Mm. What would be the evolutionary benefit of keeping a, f- a human-like foot as opposed to like a gorilla or a-, a chimp where they can grab and climb with their feet? Well, when you're 800 pounds, it's kind of dangerous to climb up into trees. Besides, what what would you look for up there? The, right. We don't have fruiting trees in the coniferous forests. The the fruit element of your diet is in the understory, the berries in the in the shrub layer. So I've only I've heard a couple of people say they climb trees. You think that's hooey? Well, it's probably uh, juveniles, maybe to you know put in a youngster up in a tree in order to get it uh, away from potential predators. If you're parking it there while you while you while you're off foraging, for example. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't think. I mean, just as large male gorillas don't spend much time climbing up in the trees, um, because a fall, even you know. Even for humans, a fall from 10 feet can be fatal if you're experienced rock climber. Yeah. It, it seems like if you wanted to fake that, you would have to have a very advanced understanding of gorillas. From If, if you were going to draw that thing and spend the time doing it, right. you'd have to have a deep understanding of primates. Or you're really shitty at making a fake foot and you just got lucky, incorporated something that looks remarkably similar to that metatarsal brick. I don't know. That's a pretty. That's good luck. I would never throw an accidental metal metatarsal break. That's no, is that what it is? A metatarsal break? Or did yeah. I make that up? No, that's right. Yeah. That, how break. are you going to accidentally draw a metatarsal break? But it, where where are his calluses? What, it seems like his feet are kind of shaved down or manicured. They're, They're perfect. Beautiful. It's like he could go to the beach right now. He could go and lay out, and people would think he had great feet. Well, again, the, the, the conditions of, of that particular footprint were just really quite remarkable, making a very clear imprint. But, um, you know, there, it's, it's indicated that the, the sole pad is probably pretty substantial and pretty thick. We have some examples of them where they've stepped on rocks or st- stepped on other obstructions, and that sole pad, mm-hmm. that substantial sole pad, is able to accommodate those right. in, uh, intrusions quite, uh, quite remarkably. But it, it's it's the composite. You know, if you take one example and you look at it, you can dissect it and criticize it and, and pick it apart and question it. But when then you see, you know, as you point out, repeated appearances, not only showing, for example, the mid-tarsal break, but, but these correlated half-tracks that 
where they're running. I mean, when, when we run, because of our stiff arch, we, if we're sprinting, not, having a, not uh, exhibiting a heel strike, we'll leave just an abbreviated footprint because we're up on the ball of our foot. Since their foot's flexible, when they run, they run like this. And it, and it uh, imprints the entire fore part of the foot. So in other words, if, if this individual were running, its running track would look like that. And again, so, so <laughs> that's the question I've often asked. If this is, uh, if this is all just spurious convergences of, of uh, you know, would-be hoaxers, who's passing out the little black book giving instructions on right. how to fake a how, remarkably consistent? How uniform is that? It's rem- oh, remarkably. Consistent? Remarkably, yeah. Example after example after example. I mean, to the point that I took the, took the leap of uh, 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 intellectual faith, if you will, of uh, uh, naming the footprints. There's a, a convention of taxonomy called ichnotaxonomy that applies... Linnaean classification schemes to trace evidence like footprints where the maker of the footprint is unknown. And so uh, we can now call these footprints, a, a published peer-reviewed uh, name, uh, Anthropoidopes ameriborealis, which is North American ape foot. Hmm. And wow. It's, How silly would that be if it's all fake, though? God, well, you made would, a whole would be beautiful-sounding Latin name. Well, it's going to be hard to prove that something doesn't exist, though. I guess so, but that's not what science is all about, right? It's no, it's not. Proving it's things not. Well, do exist based on evidence. Based on the evidence, and, and that's it. It's based on a diagnosis uh, that, that uh, of distinguishing characteristics. These are not just facsimiles of enlarged human footprints like, like this example. You know, this is actually pretty large. Uh, this would represent an individual with a foot that's probably in the upper 1% of the human population. Have you ever seen Shaquille O'Neal's shoe? No, I haven't. I've always wanted to I get it. I got a, a photo. I got to remember to get it to you guys. <laughs> it's a picture of me, my face, next to Shaquille O'Neal's shoe. Yeah. It's bigger than my entire head. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's, I'm not kidding. It's bigger yeah. than this. Yep. So it's Shaquille, totally, totally bigger than this. So yeah. Shaquille O'Neal, if he wanted to, could be the greatest Bigfoot 100%. hoaxer of all he time. He is Bigfoot. He could be. I mean, if he went and wandered through the woods, he's seven feet tall. Mm. He's more than 300 pounds. Yeah. He's it, just slap some fur on him. Does his, would his foot have the same kind of bend? No, it wouldn't. That's the thing. Even uh, even right. as, as large as his foot is, and it's not. Uh, it would probably not be, and I, I don't have his metrics to, to say this with uh, certitude, but... I would predict that his foot is not as wide as as this imprint. Most uh, likely. Yeah, most and likely. And he doesn't have the mid-tarsal break. It doesn't right? have evidence of that. If he he probably did, has they probably banned him from the league. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, we don't allow Sasquatches. Because if they ever did catch Sasquatches and then they found out that Sasquatches were people very similar to Neanderthals and they wanted to start playing football, <laughs> yeah. we'd have real problems. We would. Yeah, we'd would have be. real problems. What would the problem be? Except one would, of the football would be interesting for once. They'd start banging all the white chicks, first of all. So what? That would be a huge problem. You're going to have Sasquatch hybrids. Great. The giant nine-foot people. I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> Sasquatches won't want to enter into the UFC. We'd have to make new weight classes. Everything gets better if you add a Sasquatch. I don't care what it is. If they start showing up, we're set. Now, gorillas uh, are fairly intelligent. Chimpanzees are intelligent. Dolphins are very intelligent. We have zero problem locking them up in swimming pools. Sure. If if we did find a Sasquatch, do you think because of the bipedal nature of it, we there would there would probably be some pretty intense debate as to what to do with this thing? Well, our, our humanity isn't defined by any one characteristic like bipedalism or opposable thumbs or, you know, a, a non-divergent big toe. I mean, it's, 
it's uh, a composite of a, of a number of characteristics. And so uh, we're, we're beginning to understand that bipedalism uh, was a characteristic of many different species of a very early hominid and even some uh, non-hominid ape species. So um, you don't think that it would be like people go like, it's an, a man, he's standing up straight, we can't put him in a zoo. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there'll be some that would say that, yes. What, th- what do you think they would do? What, what is your honest opinion? Would they detain him? Would they have to like let hang out to him for a little while, see if we could figure out his language? Or what if it's like killer whale? Like you just never figure out their language. Like right. you know they're smart. You're like, I don't know what you're right. saying, dude. Yeah, yeah. And eventually you just let them loose. Well, sure, there'll, there'll be all kinds of ethical questions if we come to that point and, and, and what the outcome will be. Uh, you know, it's really hard to predict. I mean, because then you're not only dealing with the characteristics, but you're dealing with human reaction, human attitudes, political agendas, whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry to what if you to death, but that's just <laughs> sure. what Duncan no, and I no, do all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's an important question. I, I, sure. think, I think when you're out there looking for this thing, you do have to consider that your discovery of the thing might be the worst thing that ever happened to Sasquatch. In oh, yeah. a way, you're his enemy. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, and that's been, been been suggested to me and brought up uh, numerous times by various various people. I uh, you know, and my, one of my responses is simply uh, the the formal recognition, the discovery of the species isn't suddenly going to make it easy to go out and shoot a Sasquatch or to catch a Sasquatch. It's not going to change much at all. Uh, you know, there, there's a study underway now to to examine, uh, extract, and examine uh, DNA from from hair samples attributed to Sasquatch. If uh, if that researcher, Dr. Brian Sykes you know, from Oxford, if he discovers a novel sequence that uh, confirms that there's a species out there we don't recognize, it's not going to change that situation. We still won't know anything else about them. DNA will only tell us so much. It may right. tell us about where it fits in the family tree, but not what it does on a daily basis or right. how intelligent it is or whatever. If I'm the president, okay, and I come to you and I'm like, Dr. Meldrum, enough is enough. We need answers. Yeah. We need a Sasquatch research team head up by you, sir. Mm-hmm. Will you accept this position? Mm-hmm. And you have unlimited resources to go find Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. What's your plan? Well, we've actually got an initiative. Thank you for the segue there. Uh, it's entitled The Falcon Project. And mm-hmm. this is... Uh, They're going to uh, confuse people. They're going to think you're looking for birds. Well, well Why not but, call yeah. it the Bigfoot Project? That's badass. <laughs> Why does it have to be Falcon? Well, that's well, just badass. It doesn't Falcon matter. Falcon's badass. so badass. Falconry. The Falcon Project. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds well, like it's a comic book thing. Yeah, yeah it does kind of a way. Um, well, the, the, <laughs> the person <laughs> who is the uh, originator of this notion, he picked that, uh, he tells me, just because falcons fly high and see far. And right. the premise of this approach is to use lighter-than-air ships. Uh-huh. A helium-filled uh, dirigible, so a drone, oh. an unmanned drone. God, I mm. love that. But, mm. but with the capability of hovering, you know, and and uh, and going uh, doing a grid search pattern using uh, state-of-the-art uh, thermal imaging and high-resolution uh, videography, well, why, and why uh, a, survey that way. Why a blimp, though? Why a balloon? Aside from the fact that it's incredible, and I can't think of anything more psychedelic than to release a balloon into the forest to look for Bigfoot. With Zeppelin music playing from yeah, it? Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Project Falcon. <laughs> so that would be the move, balloons. I think this is a, a novel, not, a, not an entirely novel. These techniques are being used in wildlife survey studies already. I mean, there, there are companies that have popped up that, uh, that provide this service to right. government agencies, uh, you know, f- fishing game and so forth. Uh, um, 
it's just the combination with this particular type of an airship. But I think it's the way to get at uh, the daily behaviors and, and ranging patterns and so forth of these creatures. On the ground, you're looking for that proverbial moving needle in a haystack. We're going right. to obviously combine the effort with ground insertion teams that will attempt to follow up to find trace and physical evidence. And, How many people you do know, you need? I'm the president member. Yeah. We're oh, going to give you an many. unlimited budget. Not that many. We, How uh, many? Uh, let's see. Uh, half a dozen could do Listen, it. Listen, we're going to need to take all these people away from the DEA <laughs> and give them real jobs. The, this is <laughs> yes. the move. Yeah. Take Absolutely. the people from the DEA yeah. and put them in the, the BEA. Yeah. Now, if they're primal people, though, we may have the problems with uh, <laughs> Bigfoot enforcement agency, personal rights, and so forth. If they are people, if they are right? People, that, yeah. that does become an issue, intrusion, right? Intrusion, yeah. Well, there's people that have said that they've shot them, and then, of course, now they've passed laws saying in certain states it's actually illegal to shoot a Sasquatch. Right. It is, yeah. Not in all fifty, right? No, and it's it's usually by county. Uh, so Bannock County, where I come from, we have a safe haven. Uh, for ordinance. Sasquatches. Yep. Wow. <laughs> now, if someone did shoot a Sasquatch in your county, what's the what's the penalty? It's like a parking uh, ticket or do you kind, go to jail? They were kind of vague on jail. that. Yeah, what the penalty actually yeah. was. I guess we'd have to see. And that, that raises the question of, of their status. Right. Whether they're... Uh, Humans. Non-human or human. Yeah. Right. Why have there been no bodies? Why have there been no skulls? Right. Why has there been no hair? Why, why have there been... N- well, no- lots of hair. Lots yeah, of hair. but none of it like substantiated as in fact by way of DNA. It's not a human. By way of morphology, we've got hair that can't be uh, attributed to any any commonly known wildlife that has consistent morphological characteristics. One of which is uh, a hollow or acellular medulla, the central core, mm. which makes getting DNA from a hair that simply shed that doesn't have an actively dividing follicle uh, very difficult, very challenging. But it was proven to be actual real hair. Oh, yes, definitely, absolutely. So hair. it's an unknown animal's hair. Right. Do you know whether what kind of animal? Is that known? Primate-like. Uh, primate-like. Well, definitely. Well, in the sense that non-primate mammals, fur-bearing mammals of North America, have, have fur rather than simply hair. That means they have guard hairs, these long, coarse, tapering uh, guard hairs that provide mechanical protection. And then the underlying, that differentiated layer of insulating hair, very fine uh, under fur. That's like down. To yes, keep you warm. exactly. Yeah, like down on a on a bird. Bird has they have down and flight feathers. Um, in in mammals, it's guard hairs and and uh, under fur. Uh, primates though don't have that differentiation. They have hair that's kind of like a modified guard hair, but it's untapered. It's long, parallel tips, worn tips. No sign of ever been having been cut. Trimmed. Yeah. With a floby. That's yeah. So <laughs> Sasquatch with well, floby so out in the woods. What color but is the hair? It ranges. We have uh, and uh, it correlates with the reported uh, colors of uh, Sasquatches seen by eyewitnesses from uh, almost white uh, uh, you to know, chocolate. Blonde. They yeah, have almost to, white. Is it the the Yeti or actual Sasquatch? Almost white. Uh, well, Sas- we're still still talking about Sasquatch. So there have been white Sasquatch described really? by witnesses. Yeah, rare, but wow. but nevertheless seen the, uh, all the, the way to black. The DNA on the hair comes up with nothing. Well, it's difficult to get DNA because there's you know the way hair is constructed that you have a cuticle. And then you have a layer called the cortex and then a central core. And in, in, uh, if, if that uh, core or medulla has cells stacked up in it, then that's usually where the DNA is extracted from. In animals that don't have uh, a medulla present, a cellular medulla, then you have very little um, nuclear material of, of the cell 
left in that in that shaft, in that keratin shaft. And so getting any DNA in order to sequence it is, is almost impossible. What do the party poopers say that that <laughs> hair is? Well, they don't. They say, they, they say there's no evidence, you know, that one way or the other. So it's basically you've got this hair that hasn't been identified. But, you know, identifying hair is kind of more art than science because even on our bodies we have hair that differs in appearance. Head hair, yes. beard hair, pubic Eyelashes. hair. Eyelashes. Mole right. hairs. Exactly. Pubic, yeah. you had to bring that up, mole hairs. <laughs> um, so. It's different. Yeah, it's definitely different, yeah. Um, yeah, in the inside nose hairs. What the fuck are those all about? Yeah. Huh? Those are ridiculous. Or eyelashes, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. But Eyebrows. So. No one's going to fit. Here's another thing. Uh, in the same way that I can't imagine someone taking the time to fake those footprints, no one's going to go through the woods with a bag of weird hair and scatter it through the forest. No, but you might pretend you found it. You don't have to go scatter it if you're right. pretending you found it yeah. yourself. Right. But there's a lot of people that oh, are sure. full of poop, right? We, oh, sure. we know that. You yeah. know that. I know yeah. that. And this, this subject particularly attracts a lot of them. I'm sure you're aware of the gentleman in Montana recently that was killed. Yeah. Uh, this is hilarious but not hilarious because p- poor fellow is just trying to hoax somebody. He had a, a Bigfoot suit on, got hit by one car driven by a 17-year-old girl, and then run over by another car driven by a 16-year-old girl. Uh, <laughs> He's an asshole. He's trying to scare kids. Uh, you know. Well, that could cause a wreck anyway. Well, yeah. Look, I have a 16-year-old daughter. If he got sc- she got scared by a, a f- an asshole in a fake Bigfoot suit and got into a wreck, I'd be pissed. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. So. The world got a little lighter, as Bill Hicks would yeah. say. <laughs> we lost a moron. <laughs> the um, this this phenomenon, for whatever reason, is well. I guess there's a bunch of reasons why people would want to hoax it. First of all, notoriety. Sure. Second of all, because it's fun. Right. And third of all, because it's so similar to us. It's not like trying to. If we tried to hoax the Loch Ness monster, that would be a pain in the ass. Yeah. But uh, you know, you're a fairly big guy. We'll put you in a big monkey suit. Put you at a distance. Sure. You know, have you wandering around. You know, as long as there's nothing we could line up for perspective you look like a little you know we can get it off oh, sure. get it off oh yeah I, there, there's lots of misidentifications i mean that's one of the problems of of eyewitness testimony is you, you're not only uh, at the mercy of, of the witness's credibility but but honestly even if they're sincere and genuine in, in what they think they saw you're you have to um, evaluate their ability to evaluate their experience to interpret what they experience. yeah my memory's poop <laughs> my memory is it gets worse all the time sure. too and especially because since we started doing the podcast and um, you know just having all this information like rattled at me every day and dealing having these long form three hour conversations I don't remember who I said what with right. or when and I confuse stories sure. And you know what? Also, and I don't know if there's any statistics for it, but I heard that there's a statistic that 40% of the people at Disneyland are on ecstasy at any given time. (laughs) I heard that's like a statistic, like the number of people on psychedelics there. In the same way in the forest... Sure how many, pe- dust? Oh, how yeah. many people camping are high? What's the percentage? Because I think Whoa. it's 90% of the people who go camping are high. Hmm. And I don't think that this discounts the fact that there's Bigfoot, but I would say that... Most of the people who see Bigfoot, if they're out in the woods, they're probably stoned on top of it. It's possible that they are, but I think another issue is that you may only be able to contact Bigfoot when you're high. 
I, I'm Maybe that's it. That. Maybe it's the because the Pacific problem, Northwest. We need to get you on some mushrooms, son. <laughs> the Pacific Northwest is overflowing with psilocybin mushrooms. I mean, they're everywhere. Right. They're, they're, it's so rainy up there. It's yeah. just like the fertile, f- perfect fertile uh, ground for them. And a lot of people go up there to to gather those things. Now, if you were up there and you were gathering those things, maybe that puts your mind into a certain frequency. Yes. When Bigfoot's like, I know this guy's tripping. Let's go fuck with him. Yes. And then Bigfoot shows himself, hey, dude. <laughs> Plus, those, uh, those mushroom pickers are pretty territorial, so maybe they're just making up the stories to scare off the comp- competition. Are they really? You oh, would think they're... mushroom people would be the least territorial. Oh, no. They're, it's big. How do you big... know, sir? Busted. Oh, I, I've run into a lot of morale mar- mar- pickers. And, run yeah. into them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think, uh... As in called them, hey, meet me here with a bag. <laughs> I've run into you, and you've run into my chat, my cash. I wonder if Bigfoot eats those mushrooms. I wonder of course if, he does. Why that, wouldn't he? He's that's smart. That's the craziest trip. Is tripping with be, Bigfoot? No, being Bigfoot oh. on mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. But tripping with Bigfoot is definitely a great kids book. I wonder if Bigfoot is pissed at all the wolves killing the elk. You know, they have like serious issues with wolves killing elk and deer now because they reintroduced the uh, sure. they took a, a, a Canada wolf, which is a larger version of the gray wolf, and introduced them to Idaho and all these different areas. Yeah. Now they're having a problem. These things are running rampant. And there's thousands of them. They're yeah. just in massive packs killing things. Well, they just opened a season in Idaho on wolves. On wolves, yeah. that that disturbs the shit out of people. Yeah, yeah. and that's just a wolf. And it's because we we see it as you know as a dog. I got to say, I think that you are a courageous person because you seem very level-headed you seem completely logical and rational with all this stuff and i think it must take an awful lot of patience to constantly end up in interviews with stoners asking you if bigfoot eats mushrooms <laughs> yeah yeah well there's there's a lighter side i've, I've right. got uh, i've got a, a notebook with all the uh all the lighter stories that I'll publish one day. All right, now here's something that you said be that a unfortunately disturbs me. Here's something that you said that unfortunately disturbs oh, me. Okay. And that is uh, you talked about the Patterson footage as if it wasn't BS. <laughs> that Patterson footage, to me, looks like a blurry video of a dude in a monkey suit. Well, if it looks that blurry to you, then you haven't seen the best uh, renditions, the best copies of is the it film. On, are they online? Uh, there's one. There's one that's online. That, What's the uh, best one? Uh, well, I'm not sure if I can call it off the top of my head. But the producer of the show just looked at me like, <laughs> "Oh no, here we go." Yeah, because he knows I got a thing for the Patterson footage. Well, one of the so things. <laughs> We're fine. Yeah. We got a lot of good stuff already. One of the things that's interesting is every time the film is assailed by a critic or a, or a pretender uh, to be the man in in uh, uh, in the suit, such as Bob Hieronymus, right? Um, <laughs> The uh, you know it seems that that new technologies have become available in the intervening period and and they're applied. One of those was uh, the uh, was digital imagery by scanning that uh, film digitally. The uh, the image could be uh, the color could be channel split. Uh, we know that the the the, the uh, lens that was used was not corrected for chromatic aberration, so different colors refracting differentially through that lens. Boy, you sure talk a good game, Mister. <laughs> chromatic so, aberrations. How w- dare you? When you split, <laughs> you know, just well, just pop a mushroom, and you'll understand what I'm talking about here with these. Okay. Uh, rainbow colors. We split the colors. We can subtract away the least clear channels, and just limit the image to the sharpest imagery. And, uh, boy, I, I tell you, you see that image as you've never seen it before. 
Um, and there are details. I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm working right now with a gentleman who is a former Hollywood makeup artist and uh, fa- and um, uh, costume fabricator, Bill, mm-hmm. Bill Munns. He's also very good with uh, with computer graphics, with photogrammetry, and we're doing some really interesting work on the film. But, you know, when you stop and think about the materials that were available in 1967, they didn't have four-way stretch fur. They just had fur cloth, which when you make a costume out of it, even a... a, a padded costume it looks like pajamas it doesn't mm-hmm. look like a fitted a fitted uh, costume it doesn't look real to me that bit that that thing <laughs> does all. not walk like a, an, a gorilla it walks like somebody who's late for a meeting not only course. that there's it's there's, not a gorilla there's the context there's something about uh human beings where when a human being is wearing a suit or you you see a human being that's pretending to be something that they're not it doesn't seem right they walk like a human you think that you see that thing walk? That to me feels like a human being. I've seen chimps walk on two legs. I've seen gorillas. I've seen primates move. They move differently than people do. They have a completely different anatomical structure. That's they right. feel different when you watch them. This feels like an asshole pretending to be Bigfoot. Well, it, also here's a. Let me just play Bigfoot advocate here. There is the possibility, though. I mean, if you're if you're shooting a Bigfoot hoax video, mm-hmm. you're going to walk better than that. This Whoever did this is like – it's like he's in between takes going to use the bathroom or something. That's- well, this is just a dude. This is Bob Hieronymus, <laughs> the guy who uh, says it's him, he's just a guy who was friends with Bob Patterson. And we, we've already been over the fact that Patterson like wrote a bad check to pay for the very camera that yes. did. He's a shady character. He wasn't exactly the salt of the earth. But and if you're going to take... He went looking... I'm sorry, but he, sorry. he went looking for Bigfoot and then found Bigfoot. That sounds so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to take the time to go out in the forest with whatever that big suit is and to film yourself walking through the woods to make a hoax Bigfoot video, you're going to try to walk more like a gorilla or some supernatural thing. The stride of that thing is so bad and seems so fake that it makes me believe that it's real. <laughs> <laughs> I Well, I got baked one night at the ice house, and I was convincing myself for 20 minutes. I mind-fucked myself, and I completely convinced myself that it was real. And then I woke up. I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's a kind of monkey suit. Ask, uh, ask Dr. Melvin, though, what he was studying before Bigfoot, because it's germane to his... Okay, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. Um, but the this this film, have you ever looked at it and thought it was fake? Hmm. Never. Well, I mean, I've, I've questioned whether it was authentic or not, but right. I've never come to a conclusion that it must have been fake. It's the holy grail of Bigfoot footage. Uh, well, yeah, but that's not that's not the reason I uh, that, that that. No, I'm not yeah, exactly. It exactly. Is, but it is. But yeah, it, yes. Oh, sure. It it has set the bar. I guess is, uh, that's why I would rather look at it that it it sets the bar as high as as it is for photographic evidence, and anything that falls short of it, since we're still debating it. Is certainly not going to tip the scales. But if and, it was fake, it would be devastating. Uh, no, no, it wouldn't, because we still have this dozens and dozens, hundreds of footprints that fill my lab that that form uh, the basis of of my conclusion. But I would think it would just be devastating, just because people would be so upset that they were claiming that it wasn't real or oh, that it was well, real. Well, rather, sure. that yeah, would be ego wise. That would be a crusher, especially would. to such a fringe belief. Anyway, right? Sure, sure. But if all I had to go on was the uh, the correlated uh, footprints were the correlated footprints from that film site. That would be enough to convince me that it's authentic. Really? The correlated fil- f- footprints yeah. were very good? Well, yeah. This example that's so... Is that uh, one from Bluff Creek? That is. 
That, so that's from the Patterson footage. That is. Mm-hmm. And that exhibits that whole mid-tarsal that's break right. that you talk about. That's right. And, and you can see that kinematic, that action in the foot of the film subject. So it's You know not- what it looks to me when I watch it? It looks like a guy walking with ice skates on. You know when you have ice skates, you sure. can't walk right? Well, that's, that's, what, what it looks that's, like. that's that effect of the compliancy of the gait. They don't walk. You know, you said it doesn't look like a chimp. It doesn't look like a gorilla. And that's absolutely true because gorillas and chimps are quadrupeds. They're not bipeds. Well, actually, I said and it so, looks like a person is what I said. I said, well, I said when you watch a like chimp it. move and you watch a gorilla move, they don't look like human beings. This looks like a human being. Right. And, and that similarity is largely due to the fact that this is another biped that uses a mode of locomotion that's very similar but not identical to our own. Mm-hmm. And one of those differences, you, you pointed out with the ice skating, is that effect of the compliant gait. You know, one of the things you notice, often notice in, in many of these footprints is compared to a human, there's not a real distinctive uh, heel impression and a ball impression, mm-hmm. which is the result of our arched foot that concentrates pressure under those ends of the arch. So mm-hmm. we have a heel strike and a toe off when we walk. This creature, because of its great mass, has to distribute its weight over a larger surface area. So it, it walks more flat-footed without an arch. And then you've got the action, that mid-tarsal break. You can see here's the deepest part of the footprint right there. Mm-hmm. And then the pressure ridge, the pressure release that's pushed up behind it. But in order to also reduce those reaction forces, that impact of the step, it walks with a slightly bent ankle, knee, and hip. And so instead of the head bobbing along like we walk when we're walking briskly down, you know, the, the sidewalk. Um, it's smooth. Exactly. I've had eyewitnesses when, when they saw it, they thought it was either levitating, floating through the air. Oh. One described it, he said it looked like it was on a bicycle because its head was just moving horizontally through space as it was, uh, as it was walking so smoothly. Wow. So that's, a, that's an interesting distinction. But to my eye, that's, that confirms the credibility rather than refutes it. That's interesting. Still looks like a dude in a monkey suit, though. Well, it does Damn. at first glance, you know. But when you start looking at things like, you know, you're a bodybuilder, the attachment of the trapezius. Oh, yeah, I am. Just <laughs> <laughs> to let you know. <laughs> the attachment of the trapezius on the back of the head. You can see the traps come down to those massive shoulders. You can see the definition of the deltoid. Or you see a dude who has football pads on inside a gorilla uh, suit. No. Well, I There's don't know. A little bit of that. I, I got to tell you, <laughs> you have such a smooth voice and such an easy way of talking about this. You could make me believe in leprechauns, <laughs> unicorns. You mean you don't? <laughs> that would be fantastic. Look, it's, it's easy to get me to b- start believing, man. I, I start looking at it over and over again. I've been watching the video the entire time we're talking. I'm like, maybe, maybe, man. Yeah. Uh, nobody would want it to be real more than me. That's why sure. it disturbs me that I think it's fake. Because, man, I would want that to be real so yeah. bad. Almost as much as you. You yeah. first, me, like... Well, well, one of the interesting things, you know, Roger's no longer here to defend himself, mm-hmm. but Bob Gimlin, his partner, is. And Bob was kind of pulled in on this. He was, uh, he was the friend who had the necessary horse trailer mm-hmm. and equipment and so forth to make this kind of happen. And he got pulled in. He was interested. He, you know, heard the stories that, that Roger told him and went out riding with him every now and again over by Mount St. Helens and Mount Adams near, near where they lived in Yakima. But uh, they, uh, they had gone down there specifically because there had been footprints discovered a month earlier. Mm-hmm. A long line of tracks of three individuals, a 15-inch, which I'm convinced was her, and then a 13 and a 11-inch, which probably were, were juvenile offspring of hers that were just in tow. Uh, they'd been down there for 
two weeks already. It's not like they just went down and two got whole it. weeks. <laughs> wow, they put in the time. They really deserve finding well, the sure. first video footage it's, ever of a giant yeah. ape-like man thing. Well, it's it's dumb luck. There's always a, a certain element of dumb luck. Or in, in, in the, or yeah, of course you know you can play it off either side of it, but, but you gotta weigh the you know. Even okay, if even if you dismiss it on the basis, or or, or if you uh, hedge on the basis of those circumstantial evidences, then you got to account for the film. You know that was the year that Planet of the Apes came out. Now that was the state of the art in the industry for costumes. That has never been repeated in the industry. We quickly passed costumes, and and if we were going to do it now, we'd do it with CGI. No one would even tackle that with a costume. All right, let me play so, devil's advocate real quick. Even the really <laughs> good footage, let's be honest, it's blurry. If you went to see oh, a sure. movie and it looked well, like that, you'd be pissed. Sure. You'd well, be it's like, only, what kind you know, of shit movie are you making? I can't uh, even see what's going on. This is all blurry. <laughs> the trees, you can't see the leaves. Everything is like washed out. It's very it, difficult it's to over, distinguish yeah. really, over. really closely exactly what you're looking at. Well, there's enough detail that that you can see the the you know the deep set eyes, you can see the nose, you can see the split of the mouth, Sorry. you can see the. Well, no, they're, they're there. See something going yeah, on. No, no, well, what about Bob Hieronymus, <laughs> the guy who says that he was in the suit, and well, the guy who, when he walks, looks like Bigfoot? Well, he doesn't actually. One interesting thing. No, he doesn't look anything like it. His limb oh. proportions are completely off. Right. You know, he's here, not wearing a suit. Here, here's a funny little <laughs> telltale. Telltale sign. Okay. You notice that when he tries to imitate the Patterson film, he walks like an Egyptian. He turns his his back hand back uh-huh. really far. There was a there was a frame from the Patterson film that was widely published uh, sometime after. It was actually a copy that was in the possession of uh, Rene de Hinden, and it had a little blemish on the copy that made it look like there was a th- almost like a thumb and a forefinger making an okay sign, that made it look like that hand was turned back like this. Uh-huh. Uh, that's an artifact of the of the copying. The hand is actually sh- positioned like this. Mm-hmm. It, the palm doesn't face backwards. But Hieronymus, trying to exemplify, trying to emulate the posture, exaggerates this Egyptian hand posture mm-hmm. based on that widely uh, published, publicized. That sounds film. to me like someone's got a little confirmation bias. I don't look. <laughs> Well, someone I, I just, wants I'm, it to be real uh, a little no, bit. No, no, it's it's well, it, it sounds that way because I'm throwing out things that are based on very exhaustive evaluation of the film. The exhaustive evaluation of Bob Hieronymus's walk like an Egyptian hands. Oh sure, yeah. I've looked about everything that he's allowed to be replicated or published. Yeah. Can I throw my pinky in with a doctor here? <laughs> and Please do. I, I just want to say, look. Here's the thing. If I'm going out in the woods and I've got this futuristic Bigfoot suit and horses and a camera, I'm going to walk in a weirder way. I'm not going to walk. That's you, buddy. Right. Me, I would walk exactly like this guy in the monkey suit. You would walk like that. Yeah. I would never know, number one, about the head movement thing. I wouldn't know that this was some kind of primordial thing. So uh, these people seem to have deeply studied it to make something seem so fake. Or it just walked straight and they filmed it all blurry and then we add all these things to sure. it. Sure. Well, yeah. There's... Why is it exhibiting behavior that's so uncharacteristic of every other Sasquatch sighting? Every single Sasquatch sighting, they're like in the middle of the woods. They don't come out in the open. They don't stand there. And when they walk, why would they walk 
that way? Why wouldn't it go right back in the woods? Why is it walking diagonally? Well, when as you if to give you a nice long view of itself yeah. well, as it's, you've got your camera. Yeah, it seems that way. It seems but, staged. Well, one, uh, there's several possibilities. Just just give you an, an apologetic. Okay. First set. one is it's bullshit, right? First one is well, sure, it's bullshit. But okay. the other is that <laughs> one of them is that uh, first you have to know the lay of the land there. And and we've been to the site. We've surveyed the, the landmarks, the trees, the stumps, and so forth. This is a very deep canyon with very steep walls at that point. There's a wide girth there because of the flood that essentially scoured out that that creek bed and left that very convenient, if you will, uh, sandbar where those beautiful tracks could be laid down. But it made a beeline up uh, upstream some distance, crossed the creek, and, and once it was past that steep uh, narrow, it opened up a bit. And that's where it immediately went up, up to higher elevation. One explanation that's been offered is that it was – now, remember I, I said that a month earlier there were actually three sets of tracks, mm-hmm. possibly two juveniles. Those aren't obvious here in, in this footage. And, and like I said, I'm quite convinced that her tracks match those of the other 15-inch set of tracks. So she's obviously a female, if, if it's real. Uh, and so she, if she has some young in tow, one behavior of – of um, you know that exemplifies the maternal instinct is that broken wing syndrome, where the mother walks off nonchalantly to lead the the intruders away from the sequestered offspring. Oh, so the so, offspring are over here. So she's like straight making them yeah. follow her to exactly. leave her offspring alone. Yeah, that's, that's a isn't that an odd thing to do in a place <laughs> that's filled with predators? And then you seeing two predators. That's how they do it. They would. Well, humans, like you know, what, how, how much uh, of, a, of a threat are humans, you know? I, mean, I would think they're a yeah. huge threat, yeah. which is why Sasquatches are hiding. Otherwise, yeah. if they came down and got food from us, we would feed them every day. Sure. I mean, I feed squirrels, dude. Yeah. You tell me I wouldn't feed a Sasquatch if Sasquatch showed up in the yard? Sure. How have they avoided trail cams? Well, uh, there are a lot of animals that are capable of avoiding trail cams. I mean, there, there's actually growing literature showing everything from, uh, you know, coyotes, especially uh, other predators like felids that uh, uh, exhibit avoidance behavior, whether it's uh, electronic emissions, whether it's light leakage, whether it's scent, whether it's just the novelty of something on that regularly used trail that wasn't there the day before. Probably smells like people yeah. or something. I had a, I had a friend, uh, he's a, a wildlife biologist. He's been working over in Southeast Asia, and he said recently a, a BBC crew came over, and they wanted to get uh, images of uh, elephants, and they put out 18 trail cams. The elephants found and destroyed over half of them. Wow. So, yeah, elephants are very smart. Exactly. It's, it's kind of strange how smart they are. Exactly. But so we so, have you no know, problem locking them up. May, well, yeah, again, but it's uh, it's a question of, in part of rarity, of solitarity, and intelligence and behavior and, and so on. You know, you know. Is it, isn't it possible that this creature has evolved the ability to hide? That's, uh, wait, let me ask that again. Isn't it possible that this creature has evolved beyond other beings when it comes to the ability to hide? Maybe whatever this is is super advanced in camouflaging itself in a yeah. way that we've never seen. Well, it's possible. I, I, I don't think that you, we really have to resort to extraordinary explanations for it, it hiding. I mean, other animals are very capable of, of remaining undetected. It's just a matter of odds. I mean, how many times when you have gone out or, you know, people, uh, I just drove through Yellowstone, you know, and, and got caught up in these traffic jams where people would um, uh, stop to see the bear or the bison. 
But there are hundreds of bison out there that are never seen, you know. But when you have that many scattered across the landscape, the chances of bumping into one increase. But if you're talking about a very rare animal, you know, something like a, a wolverine or a fisher or a marten, right. you know, you can talk to people who have spent lots of time in the woods who have never had a sighting of one of those animals. So it's just, you know, for me, it's, it's a matter of uh, statistics, just, just probabilities of, of encountering. But, gee, you know, if we don't see something move, a vertical line especially is, is very cryptic in the woods. We're usually right. seeing things that are horizontally oriented, like the back of a deer or a, a bear or whatever. But it's kind of like that uh, closing scene in uh, Harry and the Hendersons. When suddenly the how dare you quote Harry and the Hendersons? <laughs> That's it. When you come on a show to talk to us about serious Bigfoot, everything was so good. Science. <laughs> By the way, that's a pretty obscure reference, pal, for most normal folks. Yep. Most normal folks are not like quoting Harry and the Hendersons. No. What and what happened in Harry and the Hendersons? Well, in the final scene, when Harry's sent back out into uh, the woods, then moment. then out out from the landscape emerges his whole family, and they were standing there right in front of you, but just because they were still. You didn't see them. And That's then as soon as they <laughs> cute when it's a movie. <laughs> well, right. But the, the re- well, but there's there's truth to that. We we really pick up our our brain zeroes in on a movement, you know, a movement in in the. But if it's absolutely still, uh, we have a hard time sometimes. Like with, the like in Predator. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Another one. How much credence do you give to uh, the idea that they're all over the country? Oh, very little. Um, they're they're. Their distribution, again, assuming they exist for a moment, is very ecologically based. So we don't find them in the middle of wheat fields of Kansas or, or uh, you know, West Texas. We find them where there's sufficient rainfall to support coniferous forests and understory that, that's productive enough to support a large omnivore. So if you looked at a – if you got a guide to mammals and flipped open to American black bear, for example, looked at the distribution or, better yet, Flip open to my field guide. You have a Sasquatch field guide. I have a Sasquatch wow. field guide. It's and, laminated, uh, isn't it? It's yep. So waterproof. Awesome. Um, but there is a. Um, if I can find it here, there is a uh, distribution map of a hypothetical distribution. Where can I get one of those? Um, well, I can give you a, a address to send a check to and get one. How Ooh, much? How dare you? He just he just <laughs> got money out of you. How much? Just this you is a uh, well with uh, with postage. It would be eleven fifty. That's I'll take it. In the United States. I'll buy it for you. Merry uh, Christmas, buddy. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, there, there's a distribution map, and what's interesting is it's very similar to the distribution map for American black bears because there's another omnivore that needs a certain amount of, uh, of productive habitat, and, uh, you know, there's lots of space on that map where there's no, uh, there's no evidence of any, of any Sasquatch existing. You so your, your, um, your belief is that you're dealing with the Pacific Northwest primarily, and then possibly a few other spots like Connecticut. Sure. Well, the the backside of the Appalachia. So if you go across the boreal forest of Canada, right down the backside of the Appalachia, New England states, down Connecticut, Connecticut. Well, could be. That's really densely populated state. Yeah, but, uh, pretty. Uh, <laughs> kind of hard to hide if you're a giant hide, monkey. Yeah. But down the backside of the Appalachia, <laughs> even even eastern Ohio, it's pretty, it's surprising if really? you've never been there. Yeah, there's so, there's some support for. So you believe Ohio, maybe possibly be. Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, western Pennsylvania, Florida, could be. Florida, Skunk sure. Cape, sure. Really, yeah. some of that. Some of that. there's a lot of. My experience has been, 
Uh, and for a long time, I simply used the you know the uh, easy caveat that I didn't have the time or resources to consider all the evidence east of the Mississippi. But my experience has been that the data that has come from those areas that might corroborate such sightings is pretty scant, and there's a lot of things that are just not credible whatsoever. Like meth. Like meth? A lot of meth in Florida. (laughs) I think if you're seeing skunk apes. Uh, Now, I want to – can you talk a little bit about the way that a Bigfoot smells? Well, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, in the, the skunk ape, you know, is a, a moniker that uh, derives from that supposed stench. But uh, it's interesting when you look at the statistics uh, collated from lots and lots of sightings. Uh, a stench is only reported in about ten percent of the of the circum of the sightings. That suggests to me that they don't continually smell badly to our to our nose, but that they're capable of exuding a smell. Uh, great apes like like chimps and gorillas have very well developed axillary organs. Um, the uh, the uh, apocrine sweat glands, right. the, the things that that when we sweat when we're nervous, as opposed to the watery sweat that is used in evaporative cooling. And um, when animals are when like like gorillas, Jane um, Diane Fossey rather, excuse me. She describes the first time a silverback bluff charged her, came barreling down at her. She hunkered down, you know, and averted her gaze, and, and it stopped just a foot short of her. <laughs> but she said she was nearly bowled over by this locker room scent that it was emitting. Oh, my God. And, uh, and she was probably emitting one by that point, too. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine how horrifying that would be. Yeah. You got a giant silverback charging yeah, you, and exactly. it gets so close you can smell his stink. So, oh. so whether it's fear or um, uh, tension or uh, intimidation, uh, they're probably capable of exuding that kind of smell under those circumstances. Just like a skunk. Just like a skunk, sure. We were yeah. in uh, my yeah, backyard the other night, and uh, I had explained to my daughter that you can't get too close to the skunk. There was a skunk wandering in the backyard. <laughs> we have chickens, and the skunk has found out uh, that we have chickens. By the way, yeah. skunks are murderers. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're very oh, carnivorous. They're predators, and they were looking to kill my chickens. And they actually drink their blood. That's what the, how they get them. Oh. They <laughs> gank their neck and drink their blood. So cute little skunks, Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, not so much. They're little <laughs> monsters. But, you know, I had explained to her, like, I go, if it gets you, the smell is unbelievably bad. And, you know, she's five. She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It doesn't smell at all. <laughs> I'm like, it can smell. It smells on purpose. Sure. That's a weird thing, the ability to spray that stuff on purpose. Absolutely, yeah. And they can only do it. I heard they can only do it ten times a year. Skunks? Yeah. Wow. They, they can't. They only have a certain amount that they could spray. So whenever they spray, they have to mean it. A rate of production. Yeah, what's fascinating is that smell. That um, that we can recognize in just uh, small parts per million. Right. That's how dogs smell us. Yeah. 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 Well, not so bad, I'm sure. But they can smell the. They have the ability to recognize us the way we can recognize skunks. Sure. Which is it really puts it in perspective because there's very few smells that are like that that are squirted out by a small animal that right. can spread for blocks and oh, blocks. Yeah. You know yeah. that when you're driving, you're in your car, you smell it through your vents. Right. You know, right. it's, it's super powerful. So, um, mostly Pacific Northwest or anywhere where there's large dense forests. Right. Yeah. Who's the most credible eyewitness that you've ever talked to? Oh, there have been several. Well, one that, that always comes to mind when I'm asked that, though, is uh, uh, a lady by the name of uh, Julie Davis, who had a remarkable encounter in the South San Juans of, uh, of Colorado. She's a very avid uh, goat packer, and she's hiked the entire uh, Continental Divide Trail through Colorado. 
and uh, her story was uh, was recounted in the Denver Post uh, in a big feature article. But and I've I've spent uh, over a month uh, in the in the back country with her and a couple other researchers and got to know her very well and, and been in her home, heard her recount her her uh, recollections over a campfire and and um, you know when when someone. Ha- shares that kind of experience. Her, well, hers is worth retelling very quickly. She was off trail uh, with her goats and a couple of dogs. The dogs were acting up. She suspected maybe that uh, she was being stalked by a bear. And, and there still are grizzlies, in the, supposedly still are grizzlies. This is the area of the, the so-called ghost grizzlies where they they think they're extinct and then a hunter shoots one and it's a female and she's awfully, obviously suckled uh, cubs so there still are some grizzlies out there perhaps and what part of the where is it? south uh, colorado rockies uh, the waimanuch country in the south san juans but uh, at one point she um, her dogs were again acting up she was kind of on on the lookout she didn't want her dogs to tangle with the bear so she was taking the dogs towards the tent and stepped into the tent and got her pepper spray and uh, suddenly the goats approached the tent they weren't looking at her though they were looking up above the tent and so she stepped out thinking she was going to confront a bear and have to spray it and they're standing right behind her tent so about from me to you just a small dome tent is this eight foot tall hairy figure locking eyes with her and this was in the middle of the afternoon in broad daylight and at close quarters, she said um, she. It looked at her. It looked at the goats. It looked back at her. I mean, it was apparently fascinated by these funny-looking animals it hadn't encountered before, perhaps. And uh, she said she had a sort of a subliminal uh, impression suddenly that that I won't bother you if you won't bother me. And uh, she said that uh, when she had that rec- that that sense, its demeanor kind of softened. Uh, the edge sort of went off it. And at that point. A second one that was standing right behind it, a slightly smaller one, peered out from around the bigger one. And they sat and kind of stared at each other for, you know, probably what seemed like an eternity. It was just a few seconds. And then they both turned and they headed off towards the tree line and disappeared. I'd be like, where are you going? Yeah, exactly. Let's talk. Well, Come she on, was, I'll show you. you I have know. candy. I have, uh, <laughs> I have soda. She, have a goat. <laughs> she, didn't, uh, she didn't dare tell anyone for years about it because of the fear of the stigma and God, and, I would uh, give a thousand dollars to know if that's true. Yeah, exactly. Not I know. even to experience it myself, just to know that she was telling the truth. Well, and, and as I said, it's one thing to you know in your position to say, "Well, yeah, you know, it could be, it could be, it couldn't be." Right. But when when you when it's someone that you have come to know and you count as a friend, as a close acquaintance, right. then you know, hi, oh well, you were mistaken. You know, it was just a bear standing upright. From ten feet away, right. you uh, you know you just imagined it, or you've misinterpreted it. Your you know? brain blew a fuse, yeah. or or you're lying to me. You know, right. you're just making this up for attention. We right. spoke to one yeah. woman who had Barbara, who had an incredibly compelling story. Yep. Hmm. So we, yeah, I've I've talked to people that have stories that make you just go, whoa, boy, yeah. I wish I knew. Well, yeah, people are having experiences again. It comes back to this issue of. Of how do you interpret those experiences? How credible are they? That's really got to be where the madness is because yeah. you can't discount unique experiences. You really can't. You can't. And but but I always kind of push for the corroboration. You know, I want to see an associated footprint. I want to see a strand of hair that that matches that sort of uh, standard or that uh, that um, archetype of of the hair of Sasquatch that that's kind of the the, the gold standard. You'd say, I guess. Um, because then, then there's another dimension to it that takes some of the subjectivity out of 
the evaluation of, of the experience for me anyway. Is this your full-time job? Do you? No, no, oh. no, no. I mean, I'm, I teach, I do research, you know, I, I publish on, uh, hominid evolution and bipedalism. Um, it, it takes a significant amount, but I see it as one facet, a very complementary facet to my, my other research. Some of the insights that I've gained from studying carefully the Sasquatch footprints have actually uh, fueled new interpretations of some of the hominid footprint evidence mm-hmm. that have, uh, that have uh, caused me to advocate some different alternate interpretations of some of that early evidence. Besides Bigfoot, what are the other Bigfoot-like creatures that you believe possibly exist? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, there, you know, there's the reports of all, all around the globe of, of different sorts of things, not all related. Now, interestingly, there's reports of very Sasquatch-like creatures in eastern Russia and uh, China and even down in Southeast Asia. Uh, in fact, if you go up from Southeast Asia across Myanmar, northeast India, along the foothills of the Himalayas, up around the Pamir and Altai ranges on the bordering Mongolia, even as far... Uh, west is the Caucasus between the Caspian and Black Seas. There are these gigantic reports uh, and evidence of gigantic footprints left by large bipedal creatures very similar to Sasquatch. They have the same mid-tarsal break in the footprints? They're, well, uh, we have a much scanter fossil record. They they resemble, I mean, one of the tracks from the Caucasus that a researcher, in fact, I'm going to the Caucasus this August, uh, to work with this researcher who came back with a footprint that was cast by a villager uh, from a long line of tracks that that most of the village witnessed of a big hairy creature that walked uh, walked through this um, this uh, fallow field um, they they resemble remarkably the the sasquatch footprints uh, so this might be the former range of you know gigantopithecus or a giant paranthropus or some other hominid um, there's there's the Himalayan yeti. And uh, there is, unfortunately, scant evidence for it. I've gone through as systematically as possible and evaluated all the footprint evidence attributed to the Yeti. Much of it's just unintelligible. The snow, you know, the prints have melted out or sublimated, you know, where the snow evaporates at the high altitude. Uh, Another significant fraction are bears, absolutely bears. And it it boils down to probably two specimens. The famous uh, Shipton photo from the Menland Glacier, back in the 50s. What's the name of that? Uh, Eric Shipton. S-H-I-P-T-O-N? Yep. Mm-hmm. And another one that I find even much more compelling is the McNeely-Cronin footprint, the McNeely-Cronin expedition to the Aaron Valley oh. in, um, cool. in the Himalayas. Um, those suggest a, a, a creature that's actually probably much more akin to this individual. They exhibit a opposable or a divergent big toe. In fact, the McNeely Cronin particularly looked just like an oversized chimpanzee with short stout digits. Hold this up again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you feel like the Yeti might possibly, if it's real, might possibly be a different animal, right. another a different undisclosed, right. probably, undiscovered primate. Probably one that's still arboreal, that lives not up in the snow fields, but down in the uh, subtropical to temperate uh, valleys of the high uh, mid Himalayas, I guess you'd say, like the Aran Valley. I mean, uh, McNeely, Jeff McNeely, and Ed, Ed Cronin were were um, uh, biologists who were conducting a two-year biological survey of the wildlife in that area, wildlife and the flora, 
And so when they when they woke up one morning and found a line of tracks that came up a very steep slope through three feet of snow bipedally uh, on a ridge uh, leading to a pass that they were just about to go over themselves, made a detour, meandered in amongst the brightly colored tents, and then continued on over the pass, and they lost the trail in a rhododendron thicket. But here were these chimpanzee-like, very large chimpanzee-like footprints. Do you um do you what, what's your take on aliens or extraterrestrials? Do you believe in UFOs? Well, uh, you know, and I always eschew that that term "believe." It doesn't matter if I believe or not. But right. uh, I, I've not busied myself with the the evidence. I mean, I, I saw a, a UFO, an unidentified flying object, myself one time. Mm-hmm. We were out looking at stars with you know a date. Do Good. you think Bigfoot possibly was in that UFO? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. You never know until you, you go never, in that UFO. Can you imagine that? What a mind fuck that would be. Then puts from another planet, and he just lands and likes to yeah. go for walks through the woods just like everybody else. All I saw was it was a point of light. You know, when we, when we were kids, we would sleep out on the sun decks, and we'd count the satellites as they went over. And right. They had very particular kind of oblique orbits. This thing was going north to south, and which would have been fine, except that it executed two right-angle turns in succession. I mean, absolutely right-angle turns, just as sharp as if you put a square up there in the sky. And, wow. And, and so, I, you know, both our jaws dropped. And Did you see that? Yeah, I saw Maybe that. that's the government, because it's trying to <laughs> throw you off this Bigfoot thing by making you look yeah. even this, more ridiculous. This was way before that. This was back in college years. Maybe they have a time machine, <laughs> well, and they knew <laughs> that you were going to be one of the most prominent... Prom- <laughs> Well, that, that's the thing about Prominent all, these, Bigfoot researchers. All, all these conspiracy theories. If there's men in black out there, you know, harassing and, and intimidating these uh, Bigfoot investigators, either I'm a good uh, disseminator of disinformation or something because yes. no one's ever shown up at my lab. They no don't bother ever, you at all? They have never bothered so me. So you no. could, yeah. So the idea is you probably work for the CIA. That's right. You trained underground to have that's this right. hypnotic, mm-hmm. soothing voice. You get around stoners, convince them Bigfoot exists. Leave little breadcrumb trails, you know. Right. You're the one with a yeah, bag of hairs. I knew it. I knew it. You're right. That's it. You're a government agent. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the possibility that Sasquatch uh, predated humans in North America. Mm. Uh, you brought that up. Mm-hmm. What about the possibility that there's some sort of a hybrid between humans and Sasquatch? Is that... Yeah, I think it's very unlikely. I mean, I actually am aware of a couple of interesting stories from Native American sources that suggest that, that, uh, that there was the possibility of, of uh, interbreeding. So you feel like there's a Yeti, which if, may or may not exist, but if it does, is a completely different species. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. There has been some talk about hybrids, mm-hmm. and including the Melba Ketchum DNA results, which mm-hmm. she reports to indicate some sort of a human and uh, primate, unknown primate hybrid. What do you, right. How do you feel about the results of those? Uh, I don't hold those in in, uh, in very high regard. Uh, I don't think that her uh, results are that credible or reliable, and certainly her interpretation of the data is highly questionable. Also, it's so, important to note that when you say a human-sasquatch hybrid, what you're saying is that someone wasn't just lucky enough to discover a Bigfoot, but they were also able to make love with the Bigfoot. Well, we're talking about a long time ago, and most likely they didn't even make love with a Bigfoot. They made love with another thing and created Bigfoot. That's right. the that's, idea. That's, that's her, her thesis, yeah, but, is that... It's not being looked at with uh, well, it, rose-colored I mean, glasses. I mean, even setting the any supposed data aside for a moment, just to think about the 
the, the feasibility of that scenario, you have to have two populations that are at least close enough that they're going to produce a viable and a fertile offspring, and yet they're different enough that that offspring isn't subsumed into one or the other of the parental population and, and just, you know, diluted back into the gene pool. They, they remain distinct, and then the crosses have to be frequent enough, the, the you know, the... The, hook, the hooking up at uh, yeah, yeah, I like that, how you're that, hooking up that there's that there's a, a substantial population then that that accrues, and and that becomes Sasquatch and somehow gets from Europe to North America and other parts of Asia, and relinquishes all material culture and and other accoutrements of humanity and I mean it just it, it kind of uh, not only that <laughs> how big must that thing have been. Right. If people are our size, and then there's Sasquatch, which is even uh, bigger. Yeah. This thing had to be even bigger than Sasquatch. Well. Had sex with a person, and made something in the middle. Right? Does it work that way? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Science does not work that way. <laughs> you know why it doesn't work that way? Why? Ligers. Ligers are way bigger than tigers or lions. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are. Yeah, you, you can point to examples uh, that they do. Lions and tigers really aren't good biological species because they do when they, when the opportunity presents, they do cross and produce viable offspring. But the viable offsprings are sterile, are they not? No, ligers, my understanding is that ligers are not sterile. Really? That, that, yeah, that oh, you wow. can, you could breed, you can, in fact, uh, one of, not Pocatello's, but eastern Idaho's claim to fame was Liger Town. A couple of uh, unscrupulous individuals that were uh, were breeding and but not taking good care of them. And all, uh, all heck broke, broke loose when they showed up outside of a school playground. The ligers wow. did? Yeah. And in oh. Fact, well, they, they found well-beaten paths where they were getting out on a regular basis before they Crazy. were finally discovered. And Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. But, that, but that's an interesting, interesting possible scenario. Now, I, I started to mention that there's a couple of Native American uh, accounts that suggest, you know, there's always been this theme of abduction. Of of the uh, you know the the Sasquatch abducting um, uh, human females, ah. but the only two that I'm aware of upon which I can base any you know any uh, evaluation reported that there was a pregnancy, there was a birth, but the individual grew very rapidly, very sickly, and died and, and was stunted mentally and died before the you know reaching teen years suggesting it wasn't viable and probably wouldn't have been fertile. And this was an abduction. Yeah. So what, Bigfoot abducted a Native American woman, made love to her, mm-hmm. brought her back, mm-hmm. and she had a baby that died. Mm-hmm. Why did he bring her back? Or she got away or whatever. Uh, I mean, maybe you know. she was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Bigfoot thought it'd be really cool. You know, it's like a lot of hookups. You build it up in your mind, yeah. you know, and then you get together with her and the reality sets in. Yeah. Uh, Maybe she's annoying. Should have you know. stuck with Bigfoot. I mean, they're, they they sound like just so stories, but, you know, we have uh, some precedent. Baruti Galdicus, the, the orangutan lady, uh, researcher, she in her book, uh, Reflections of Eden, recounts uh, uh, an instance where at a provisioning station her native um, assistant was accosted by a, an, a young male uh, orangutan who completed the deed, and wow. uh, but he had been he was a rehabituated or a repatriated, I guess you'd say, rehabilitated. I'm not sure what the proper term is there. One that had been confiscated and then raised and and trained to, to return to the woods. So it had some contact with humans previously, but the but the point simply being is that that 
scenario is not completely out of the question. Right. The question is, what's the probability of there being a successful impregnation between two different species? Now, I've never. Can know, I just stop you? Yeah. I. If, I would. If a, it seems like if an orangutan had made love to a woman. That I would have heard of that by now, and you nah, would have too. I don't think so. There's that lady in Connecticut that was almost enti- almost definitely sleeping with her chimp. She was giving it wine and Xanax. It slept in the bed with her. I was very I knew, jealous I of her. That. I knew yeah, about that. Yeah, she was probably having sex with that thing. But this is different from being on an expedition and having a orangutan barrel out of the forest and fuck you. Yeah, but I think it's probably pretty standard for orangutans. They're bigger, we're smaller. They fuck us. It's not standard. I think that's what they do when they're horny. <laughs> I don't think they really think about it. There would be a blog dedicated to it at least. Nah, just not enough contact with people with cell phones that live. You can tell that was a, this was so. a Pandora's box, wasn't it? This whole show is a Pandora's box. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize for that. The, um, the Jane Goodall quote, boy, when Jane Goodall came out and said that she believes 100% that Sasquatch is a real animal, did you go, yes! <laughs> you must have been well, so pumped. Well, I followed up and, uh, and, uh, and, saw, and uh, tried to see if she would uh, read my book manuscript and possibly endorse it, which she did. So the cover of my book boasts an endorsement from, from Dr. Goodall. So but you, have you spoken with her I have, about yeah, this? a couple of times. What's um, her number one thing that she locks onto as far as proof? Well, one of the things that really impressed her was the uh, the, the uh, accounts by Native Americans that she's come to become acquainted with, and uh, the fact that they that they've had these encounters and that they uh, that their oral traditions are so deep rooted about interactions and you know encounters with these creatures that they're they're part of the of, of the real landscape as well as you know as with so many animals the Native American stories often have are are, are very metaphorical very. Like Aesop's fables, they you know convey uh, convey morals and so forth, and so they're oftentimes the the animals that are given anthropomorphic characteristics and or supernatural characteristics, but that doesn't change the fact that you know the clever um, and and trickster coyote is based on a real species of animal. Yeah. So the wild man of the woods is probably the same. What does Jane Goodall think of this footage? You know, I haven't uh, I haven't. Had that opportunity. Our, our conversations have always been very brief. Unfortunately, we haven't had the opportunity to sit down and speak at any great length. But uh, so I don't know what she would say about the about the footage. What was your background before right. you became intoxicated with the Bigfoot legend? <laughs> right. Well, my my training is in anatomical sciences with an emphasis in physical anthropology. So much of my day is spent uh, teaching human gross anatomy, full body dissection, lab course to uh, health professions programs. So you know I've. Uh, been involved with uh, the dissection of hundreds and hundreds of human bodies, know that machinery inside and out. Uh, my research revolves around uh, the evolution of human adaptations, particularly those for walking on two legs, and and more specifically, the interpretation of, of foot form and function as it relates to to bipedalism and arboreality and other other primates like uh, the great apes and and uh, monkeys. You're, well. you're living in Washington State? Is that where you live? Idaho. Idaho. In the state of Idaho. Okay. I teach nice, at Idaho State University. Nice and woodsy out there, right? Well, Pocatello's kind of uh, plunked there on the edge of the sagebrush steppe, so we have to go a little ways to get to the woodsy, but there's lots of wild country. We're just two hours away from the Tetons in Yellowstone National Park, and uh, Uintas are just south of us, so there's, there's some real prime territory. Yeah. So you can go squatching pretty close to your house? Sure. Can. Do you? Do, do you do that? I've I've gone. Uh, I go out with a, a colleague, uh, John Mainzinski, is a wildlife consultant and ethnobotanist, and 
we've done a lot of work in western Wyoming uh, together, and uh, for a number of years we've uh, spent at least a month at a time in the field looking for trace evidence and trying to get uh, DNA uh, with various by various means. Uh, Would you say that you spend more time dissecting human bodies or hunting for Bigfoot? Uh, probably dissecting human bodies, yeah. But Bigfoot's really fun, and dissecting well, sure. bodies get boring after a while, right? Well, I never lose that. Uh, it has a certain uh, novelty to it every, each and every year. I mean, everybody's a little different, and, and sharing that experience, you know, it's a real unique opportunity for students to have that very intimate uh, experience of dismantling that marvelous machine that's the human body. So it never, it never really gets old. For the record, just so for the show, would you look at me and tell me exactly who you are and what your um, sure. credentials are? Yeah. My name is Jeff Meldrum. I'm a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University. Uh, I teach primarily anatomy and research uh, the evolution of human bipedalism. I hope you're right. Me too. I, I, I'm seriously rooting for you. There's not a lot of subjects that I really hope are true, but Bigfoot, man, for me, it has always been the one. UFOs, I'm pretty sure there's life out there. Whether or not it's visited us, <clears throat> excuse me, whether, whether or not it's visited us, I'm, I'm sort of I'm iffy on that. Sure. But Bigfoot, I'm hoping for, man. I'm, God, I want it to be real. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There was a... Recently, uh, the, the cover story of New Scientist magazine this year was, uh, of one ep issue, was what are the top ten questions that face human evolution, the students of researchers of human evolution today, and number nine was, are other hominins alive today? So it's gaining some traction, this, this notion of relic hominoids. I've actually launched a, an online scholarly journal, peer-reviewed journal, called the Relic Hominoid Inquiry to provide a venue for discussion and publication of, of uh, research on this topic. And so it's, it's making inroads. Homo floresiensis that you're so interested in, that, that was really an interesting. Because, Fascinating. Yeah, because here these, these discoverers kind of scratch their heads and admit to the reporters, well, yeah, actually the local people have been describing these little three-foot-tall hairy people that live up in the mountains, and, and uh, even some of the European colonists have described encounters with them all along. And wow. that, that had been folklore for the longest time right. and thought to be nothing but just stories exactly. until they found these bones. What is it, like 2006 or something like that? Yeah, it's just been a few, a few years. Crazy, so. isn't it? Little yeah. tiny three-foot-tall non-human people, right? right. They right. said could levitate. No, 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 no. they myth. fly, they just fly. They don't levitate. They're <laughs> like <laughs> Superman. <laughs> no. Superman levitates. They walk through trees. Fly. Right What's through that? them. They rock right through the tree. They become one with the tree. From from what I read, the little people can fly. Where are the little people huh. supposed to... I mean, there's, there's also the Orang Pendek. Right. Right? Yeah, Where that, is that thing supposed to live? That, that name comes from Malaysia. So uh, Flores is a little island of Indonesia, but there are reports of these small uh, hominids uh, all throughout Southeast Asia. And re so. Recent reports, right? Oh, yes. Contemporary reports, absolutely, like, as well as the native traditions. They're still alive. Yeah, right. those little tiny things. Right. They're very smart, apparently. Well, yeah, hiding again, from people and very hiding, smart. Yeah, fascinating yeah. stuff. Doctor Meldrum, seriously, thank you so much, and thank you for all this work. Because if it wasn't for a guy like you, an actual intellectual smart dude who is obsessed with Bigfoot as well, <laughs> it would be so sketchy. Because you're getting this information from all these various sources. Right. Some of them highly doped up, you know. It's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to celebrate the wheat from the shaft. Is that what you're saying? The wheat from the shaft? Wheat from the shaft. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. I don't think it's shaft. Chaff, I think, chaff. is the proper term. <laughs>
it's uh, it's hard, you know, yeah. when you're a person like myself who is not educated in anthropology to dissect this stuff. Sure. And uh, if it wasn't for people like you out there, I think the uh, overall picture would be far muddier. So thank you, sir. I really, thank really you. appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, an honor having you on. Really appreciate that. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. That was awesome. Great.